think what we have learned over the past year is how to treat people better. We know what works and probably more importantly, we know what doesn't work. Public health experts react to Governor Tom Wolf's plan to lift more coronavirus restrictions on Memorial Day. Some say the plan is reasonable and that it's important to balance COVID risks with other concerns. What we've been seeing in the United States and around the world in the past year or so is increasing number of mental health conditions and decreased access to mental health services. Plus, we'll talk about how the upcoming primary could bring a shift in power to the Pittsburgh Public Schools Board. And we'll explore newly announced plans to redesign the Tree of Life Synagogue more than two years after a deadly mass shooting. It's Friday, May 7th. This is Pittsburgh Explainer. I'm your host, Liz Reed. We're joined now by WESA reporter Sarah Bowden to walk us through the state's plans to loosen its COVID-19 safety restrictions. Hi, Sarah. Hey, Liz. What will the new guidelines be? My understanding is that all mitigation guidelines are going away with the exception of the masking mandates. So, for example, restaurants and other businesses can operate at full capacity. There will be no more limits on gatherings. Now, if local municipalities or school districts want to keep or strengthen mitigation orders, they can do that. But the state's not enforcing those orders. So that's going to happen at the local level if that continues. That's re- it's really wild to think about this. I mean, aside from the masking mandate, we could see life go back to normal. I mean, is is that a word that's appropriate to use? Yeah, I don't know, because, you know, we're still going to see a lot of circulation of the virus. Um, it's definitely going down. It won't be like last year. But I anticipate that we're going to still see COVID deaths. We're still going to see COVID outbreaks. They just won't be as extreme because you know, our vaccination levels continue to increase. And it doesn't necessarily mean that like, you know, music venues, I guess, are going to open back up to full capacity, even though they can. Right. Local municipalities can have, you know, their own ordinances. Individual businesses and venues can also create their own roles. We heard a minute ago from Faina Linka from Duquesne University and Dr. Donald Yeely of UPMC. What's the broader reaction been to the announcement from public health experts and officials? Sure. I spoke with several public health and medical experts in covering this, and they all said this seemed pretty reasonable, considering not only that our current vaccination level continues to increase, but also older people have higher vaccination rates. For example, on Wednesday, Dr. Deborah Bogan, who's the director of Allegheny County's health department, said that 94% of county residents who are 65 and older, 94% of these individuals have received at least one dose of the vaccine. Now, I will note that Bogan was cautious for the reasons I just stated, that just because these mitigations are going away doesn't mean that the virus is going away. But again, the people I spoke to said, you know, vaccinations going up. Uh, we're seeing cases drop. It's important to uh, create public health guidance that matches the level of risk. And frankly, risk is going down for people when they're vaccinated. So they said that this seemed reasonable. Now, the state has relaxed restrictions before and then put them back in place when cases surged. I mean, is there any worry about COVID-19 case numbers rising again and restrictions having to be put back in place? Yeah, I think that's always a possibility. That's always a risk. Um, We saw a likely seasonal effect last year during the warmer months on the virus, though with one calendar year, it's really unclear 
how much of that had to do with mitigation, how much of that had to do with public compliance with those mitigation. But, you know, there is a risk that we're going to see uh, rising case numbers in the fall and winter, like we saw that big surge in late November, early December. Um, you know, COVID's going to be with us for a while and it's going to ebb and flow. And this is just a reality going forward. So, yeah, we're probably going to see case spikes. It's unclear how significant those spikes will be. That will definitely depend on vaccination levels. That will depend on whether children can get vaccinated. That will depend on variants. Um, there's a lot of unknowns in the future, but COVID's not going away. Yeah, you mentioned variants. I mean, it's worth noting that even though the vaccine is pretty readily available here in the United States. It's not like that everywhere in the world. And this is a global pandemic and the virus can mutate anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. That's really important to remember. Right now, our vaccines seem really effective against variants and we want to keep that the case. And so that's why we need people to get vaccinated. That's why we need to vaccinate the global community. Um, you know, it's important to note that the U.S. has a large stockpile of vaccines that are going unused and perhaps expiring. Well, Mexico uh, hasn't had the same level of access. And, you know, we share a very large border with Mexico. And so it would be in the U.S. interest to vaccinate our neighbors and also people on other continents, because as we saw with the initial outbreak in early 20 or late 2019, early 2020, it is very easy for a virus, a respiratory virus, to move around the globe. So while we have particularly high vaccination levels compared to certain parts of the U.S., even Pennsylvania here in Allegheny County, the fact of the matter is the virus doesn't care about county borders or national borders. And it is very important that we vaccinate the global community as soon as possible. Now, one of the other things that Governor Tom Wolf announced this week was that the masking, the universal masking mandate uh, would be lifted when we reach the threshold of 70 percent of the adult population vaccinated. I know vaccinations are slowing down both here in Pennsylvania and across the country. Do we have a sense of how long it might take to reach that 70 percent threshold? I don't know if we're ever going to reach that threshold. The people I spoke to seemed not too optimistic due to our current vaccine hesitancy levels. That being said, we're probably still going to see a significant drop even if we don't hit that 70%. Based on what we've seen in Israel where you know they have decently high vaccination rates but not at the 70% threshold and um you know they've seen a significant drop in cases. My understanding, uh, according to Yeely, Dr. Don Yeely, who I spoke to, as you mentioned, from UPMC, he noted that the reason that we picked the 70% mark is because when it comes to respiratory viruses, it's about at that level where we start to see cases really drop when we hit um, a certain level of immunity, both due to vaccine and natural immunity because of previous infections. But, you know, this is a very new virus. It's the novel coronavirus. So uh, we'll see if that's how it plays out. Sarah, thanks so much for your reporting. No problem. Nice to talk to you, Liz. We'll be right back after a quick break. 
The Confluence goes beyond the headlines to introduce you to innovators and difference makers in the community and to engage in conversations about issues impacting our region, from education to social justice to government accountability. Join us for The Confluence, where the news comes together Monday through Thursday mornings at 9 on 90.5 WESA. Now to Pittsburgh Public Schools and the upcoming election that could mean a sea change for the district. WESA's Sarah Schneider is here now to explain. Hi, Sarah. Hello, Liz. Can you start by explaining what the school board does and and what power it has? Sure. So it's a school board of nine elected members um, from different areas of the city. They each represent different um, schools, but they're supposed to represent the entire district. Uh, That's 22,000 students now. This board has a ton of power. Arguably, the two most important roles of the school board are to hire and evaluate a superintendent and to approve a budget. And so right now, the budget for the school district is bigger than the city of Pittsburgh's, and it has fewer students. You know, we're losing enrollment every year. So the school board has a lot of hard decisions to make, and yeah, there are five seats up right now. So the board could change drastically based on this election. What are the dynamics in this race? Like, what are the different sort of considerations at play or, or sort of powers or influences at play? This is going to be a different year um, because there's a new group involved, uh, Black Women for a Better Education. They formed a PAC, and so this is a group that formed in um, the spring in response to the district's what they consider to be a slow move to remote learning, and as the the women in this group say, an inadequate move to remote learning. And so this group now is running a slate of candidates um, for these five seats, and They say they're doing this because the current school board members did not listen to them. Um, When this summer they asked the school board not to renew Superintendent Anthony Hamlet's contract, and the board went ahead and did that. They renewed his contract with a a bonus, and they said that that was inappropriate and that they want to hold this superintendent to higher standards. And that's um, something I heard over and over again from these candidates. You know, also, um, these candidates, most of them did not seek endorsement from the Pittsburgh Federation of Teachers. So that's the union that represents teachers in the school district and also police officers. And this union has a ton of power and leverage in this district. So because these candidates did not seek that endorsement, that says a lot about um, you know, the balance on this school board because the school board members that are on the board and are not up for election have all been endorsed by the teachers union. And so this could there could be clashes there. So you mentioned that the Pittsburgh Federation of Teachers has made endorsements. Have they across the board endorsed incumbents or are there other new candidates that are getting endorsements from the PFT? There are other new candidates this year that are not endorsed by Black Women for a Better Education that were endorsed by the PFT. And so that's Lamont Frazier in District 3. Um, he's running against Salah Udin, who is the incumbent and is backed by Black Women for a Better Education. And then there's Jamie Piotrowski in District 7, um, who is backed by the PFT and not um, Black Women for a Better Education. And then in District 1, Sylvia Wilson is the incumbent. She is also backed by the PFT. And then in District 9, there's Delancey Walton. She's the youngest school board candidate who's ever run. She's 18 years old. She just graduated from Montour School District. She's also being backed by the PFT and not the incumbent, Veronica Edwards, who was previously backed by the PFT. So yeah, there's there's a lot of backroom politics happening. 
there's also confusion about the PFT process. You know, some candidates endorsed by Black Women for a Better Education told me, like, we didn't get the Zoom invitation for the interview until two minutes after the interview was supposed to happen, or the email was really weird. And so there seems to be issue in the endorsement process itself, but also Camille Scantling is one of the new candidates running. And she said she wouldn't have sought the PFT's endorsement because she said, you know, that they are responsible for misinformation in this district. So there was tension before COVID, but the pandemic really um, brought out a lot of existing issues that people have had with this administration and with the status quo of the board that really they want to challenge. So, you know, Pittsburgh Public Schools recently reopened its classroom to all students, but as you mentioned, it was closed for over a year, and the district has gotten a lot of criticism for its handling of remote learning and reopening during the pandemic. What could the outcome of this election mean with regards to accountability for district leadership? Right. I mean, if the five candidates who are on the slate for Black Women for a Better Education are all elected, that means the, that's five people who have said they do not support the superintendent. And, you know, the the candidates I spoke to said it's not like they're going to come in and fire the superintendent. There are protections that he has, but they will hold him to a higher standard and they're going to evaluate him more often and it will be a more transparent public process. And there are board members who sit on the board who hired him and support the superintendent and say, we need to hold the superintendent and his administration accountable for the, the lack of progress in this district. Outcomes for black and brown children have not improved in the last several decades. And if they have, it's very by a tiny margin. And so these candidates are saying, this is wrong, and we've known about this for a long time. Now something has to happen. Sarah, thanks so much for your reporting. Of course. Thank you, Liz. We'll be back with one more story after a quick break. Inbox Edition is the daily newsletter that starts your day with stories about Pittsburgh from the WESA newsroom. You can sign up at wesa.fm slash inbox edition. It's been two and a half years since a gunman opened fire at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Squirrel Hill, killing 11 worshipers. Since then, the sanctuary has not hosted services. As congregants, community members, and leadership considered what to do with the building, that was the site of so much pain and trauma. But this week, the congregation announced some of its plans for the building's future, and WESA's Bill O'Driscoll is here with more. Hi, Bill. Hi, Liz. So what was the news about Tree of Life this week? Well, Tree of Life announced that they had selected the internationally known architect Daniel Liebskind, who's based in New York, to do this project uh, for them. They had received applications, uh, essentially applications from about a dozen architects, and he's one with a huge reputation and some, uh, some real connections, being Jewish himself, to the Jewish community, and they really just were moved by his, uh, his proposal. What did Daniel Liebskin say about why he wanted to work on this project? Well, he said he's um, he, he's Jewish himself. He's the son of uh, Holocaust survivors, and he just feels very strongly about the the anti-Semitic nature of the attack that happened two and a half years ago. That, of course, was international news. He also has a has a past a, a resume, basically, of doing projects that are the sites or the occasions of commemorating sort of large-scale suffering. Uh, The Jewish Museum in Berlin, he designed also the World Trade Center Master Plan in New York City after 9-11. 
Okay, so tell us um, what is in this proposal? What's, what's going to happen to the building? Well, it's all very not detailed at this point. There were no uh, sketches revealed, no kind of architectural elevations, anything like that. In fact, he hasn't submitted any. It was just really just a written proposal, kind of a narrative, him saying why he wanted to do the project. The basic idea is they're going to maintain the sanctuary, which is that big building right on the corner of Shady and Wilkins Avenues in Squirrel Hill. But there's some smaller parts of the complex that they're going to demolish in order to uh, build some more classroom space, event, exhibition space, also a new home for the Holocaust Center of Pittsburgh. You know, I, I find it noteworthy that the sanctuary will remain. Um, this is one of the places in the building where people were killed. And you may recall, Bill, that a couple of years ago, I reported a story about what happens to places of worship that are the sites of violence and trauma. I mean, sometimes they just raise them to the ground and rebuild. And sometimes they clean the walls, replace the carpet, and are back worshiping the next weekend. Um, when I was reporting that story, I asked Andrea Wedner, if she would be able to worship in the Tree of Life building again. Um, she was injured in the attack, and her mother, Rose Malinger, was one of the people killed. Here's what Andrea had to say. I, I've said that I will go back in that building if it looks totally different. I cannot go in there now. I, want it, I would like it to stay on that site because I don't want, I don't want this person to win. I don't want what happened to take away our, our home. So it's my understanding from your reporting that really it's the rest of the building, aside from the sanctuary, where the renovations will be. Did they say why they wanted to keep the sanctuary space intact? Yeah, I had remembered some of the same stories, Liz, about folks saying that they, they didn't really want to go back into the same space again. And I asked Barb Feig, who's the executive director of the Tree of Life, and she said, one, the sanctuary is just is just beautiful, and they wanted to keep it for that reason, but also because especially the exterior of it has kind of become an icon for commemorating that that horrible event. It was the visible symbol of the Tree of Life really all around the world. The image of the building went out on uh, video and, and photographs everywhere, and they felt that it was important to maintain that as a symbol of the remembrance part of this to recall what had happened there. I'll just add really quickly, too, that that in the press release they put out, Andrea Wedner was someone who was quoted as saying, I, I like what's happening here. She said, this is an exciting, quote, this is an exciting next step in this long process of rebuilding. And so she was specifically cited as someone who was approving of the project. What's the timeline for this? Uh, that was asked too. There is no timeline right now. Uh, they're really just getting started. They had put out these requests for qualifications that uh, Daniel Liebskind and others responded to just early this year. Um, they don't have a timeline. They don't have a budget or anything like that, but they said they will be announcing fundraising plans uh, initiatives shortly. Bill, thanks so much for your reporting. You're welcome. That's Pittsburgh Explainer for this week. Our show is produced by Katie Blackley. Our editor is Lucy Perkins. Thanks for listening. Let's talk next week.